Well, good morning. Good morning. How in the world are you today? Well, I appreciate so much the friendship that I've developed with Jerry this last year. Uh, we were able to be together in San Antonio uh, for the theology conference and spent some time together as well as on the district board. And so I thank him for his service to our district in this way. It's been a great encouragement to me. Well, this morning I want to uh, have us look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, thinking about how to shine like a star. When you think about a star or someone who has that star quality, what do you think of? I mean, you think of maybe someone who has influence, fame, or wealth, or power. There was a list that was compiled and if you were probably going on the internet today, it'd be different, but this was from last fall. I was doing some research and looking at who some of the most influential people were from the 18th, 19th, and 20th century, and let's see how well in your mind who you think some of the most influential, some of the most star-quality people from the 18th and 19th and 20th century. I'm going to give you a list of five, starting at the fifth most uh, famous person from uh, the internet anyway, back in the fall, would be number five would be Martin Luther King Jr., is who was rated as the fifth most influential or famous person in the last three centuries. Number four was John F. Kennedy. Have a guess as to who you think number three is before it goes up, or did it already go up? Mother Teresa is the third most uh, famous person from the last three centuries. Number two, another president, Abraham Lincoln, is uh, someone from the last three centuries. And number one, I would not have guessed this, but the number one most famous person from the last three centuries, Marilyn Monroe. Isn't that interesting? I also find it fascinating that everyone on the list is deceased. Also, three of them were murdered. Um, one committed suicide, and one, Mother Teresa, died at the ripe young age of 87. And yet, these are the people that the world looks at and has looked at and said are the most famous and influential people of the last three centuries. But when you think of it from God's perspective, who are the most famous people? Who are the people that have a star quality? From God's perspective, Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. In chapter 11, we have a hall of fame, people that God looked at and said that these are people who, because of their faith, I, I want to have their names recorded. I want their stories to be told. One of them was Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, what I think is also uh, interesting about these individuals and others that God mentions from the Hall of Faith, many of them have lives where in Scripture, not only was their, their faith put on display, but also their dirty laundry was aired. God's Word, with all of its truth-telling, points out the spots, the wrinkles, the flaws, the sin of these individuals that are in the hall of faith. Well, who, who are stars from God's perspective? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, Jesus said in verse 14 to his followers, You are the light of the world. 
Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. The word star was also used in the first century as a navigational beacon that would shine into the dark to lead ships safely to the harbor. They would have fires that they would light on the, on the shorelines to allow people to be able to, who are navigating out on the, the, uh, the, river, the water to be able to see where land and harbor is. Christ's followers are bright stars in a, in a dark world. We are put here on earth to shine the light and guide others safely home to our, our Heavenly Father. Paul told the Philippians that they were stars in the world. How do you identify star-quality Christ followers? Well, let's look at verses 12 to 18. I'd like to read the text in its entirety before we, we jump into it this morning. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, thinking about what it is to be a star, one who lights the world for Christ. Verse 12 of Philippians 2, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's ask God to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive his word this morning. Father, thank you for the life and testimony of Paul. I thank you for a man who ran his race, who ran it well, who finished, and looked forward to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray as we open your word this morning that it would have freedom to work in our hearts, that you'd give us ears to hear, minds that would be opened, hearts that would be uh, soft, hands that would be available, feet that would be ready to go, and a tongue that would be ready to speak, all for the glory and honor of Jesus, in in whose name we pray these things. Amen. Four things that I want us to see from this text. Uh, Four things. There's an insert in your programs that if you want to take some notes, if you're making a grocery list for Walmart today, I won't know the difference. But if you're writing feverishly, maybe I'll think you're really checked in and you're you're taking great notes. But maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit will want you to follow up an action step as a result of hearing his word today. The first thing, two of the things have to do with God's part. Two of the things are our own personal responsibility as it relates to shining as a star. The first thing I want us to see in verses 12 and 13 is God's work. God's work. Verse 12 again said, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence. I think that's interesting. Uh, When I was in college, I used to be a supervisor with United Parcel Service. Matter of fact, if I would have still been employed this year, I could have retired next year from United Parcel Service if I would have stayed there from when I graduated from high school, but God had another plan. But when I was in a supervisor, it was always interesting to me when you would walk behind a semi-truck that guys were either unloading or gals were unloading or loading, 
you might find somebody who's in there kind of taking a little bit of a break, and then all of a sudden a supervisor, somebody with a tie walks by, and all of a sudden the intensity picks up. And Paul said, I'm proud of you because when I was present with you, your faith was strong, and I'm sure that when I'm going to be gone, you will, you'll also obey in my absence. Then there's this unique phrase that, that Paul says to these believers in, in Philippi. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Looking at that verse, you might say, John, did Paul say work for your salvation? What, what does that mean, work out your salvation? And I would say, no, he did not say work for your salvation because he wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not by works. You cannot work your way into salvation. It's a gift from God. Many people believe that God has this cosmic scale and that all of our good goes on one side and our bad goes on this other side. And you say, you know, I'm not a person who kicks small dogs. I don't burn any orphanages. You know, I'm, I'm kind to people. I hold doors open. I don't cut people off in traffic. All of those things, God's going to accept me. But God's scale isn't based on our scale in terms of good and bad. It's based on perfection. And none of us are able to be perfect. And because of that, we needed God's Son to come. God's standard for acceptance, however, is perfection, and no one can be good enough to be accepted by Him. So what, what does this mean when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? I think the answer is found in verse 13, where it goes on to say, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He first works in us to save us, and then we're to work out what God has worked into us. As we recognize His work of grace and faith in our lives, we then work out that grace and that faith in our lives. When Paul wrote this letter, the verb work out was used to describe mining of silver. Workers would enter a mine and bring out the silver that was already there in the earth. So we have a salvation if we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior as we've repented and turned from sin and turned in faith to Him and received that. He's placed that salvation in us. Now we have a responsibility to work that out. Salvation always starts with God, however. It starts when you receive Jesus, but it never ends there. True salvation affects every area of your life. It should change the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we think. All of our decisions. My dad used to say, uh, when you are transformed by Jesus Christ, even your dog should know there's a difference because you've been so transformed. To work out your salvation radically changes the way you view God's will. If you are a Christ follower, you obey God's word and his will with no strings attached, no conditions, no bargains. Some examples of bargains, sometimes we might say, God, I'm willing to obey if you'll promise to keep me safe, give me a great job, guarantee that I'll have a happy family, no problems with my teenage children, a long life, and a good retirement plan. <laughs> and that's not how God works, is it? The God of the Bible doesn't make those deals with his children. But God does ask us, and Christ 11 times in the Gospels says to people, follow me. Follow me. 11 times Jesus asked individuals, to follow him. That's still what he's asking of us today. After we come to know him in faith, he says, follow 
me. You know, as I think about following Christ, <laughs> He's the one who says, work that out in, I'm the one who it is going to work in you, both the will and do of my good pleasure. You know, God gives us both the will <laughs> and the ability to obey what He commands. First, He changes our want to, then He provides the power to obey. Because, friends, God does not ask you to do something that He will not empower you to be able to do. When God asks you to follow Him, He will give you the power and the strength to do that. Often we lack, and we think that because of our problems, because they're greater than our potential, and we think about constraints, we look at maybe uh, the constraints that we have in our time, our energy, our resources, and we say, God, it's difficult for me to do what you asked me to do because of those constraints. And yet I think we look at salvation and we see what God requires for obedience, He then supplies. When God demanded full payment for sin, what did He do? He supplied His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, whose death fully paid for our sin. What God requires and what He asks of us, He will resource and He will provide for us to be able to do. It may not be in the manner or the timing or the way in which we think or desire, but God, when He asks you to obey, He will give you the strength and the courage and the ability to do what He asks. God's work goes then on from salvation. He gives us inner strength to obey His will, and then He provides the strength, faith, power, and ailment to obey. So to shine as stars, we need to recognize, first of all, it begins with, with God's work. And then in verse 14, I see partly where our responsibility kicks in, and it's my words have an impact on me shining like a star. My, my words, verse 14, Paul says, do all things, maybe you should help me with that, that second word there, do what? All. <laughs> all means all, and that's all all means. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Anybody for honesty in church? How many of you that, this last week did everything without grumbling or disputing? <laughs> Not many hands up, and I'm putting my hands in my pocket, because <laughs> I'm guilty as charged this week too. But you know, a couple, couple years ago, I, I had the opportunity to have a sabbatical, my first sabbatical in you know, a number of years of, of local church ministry. And on that sabbatical, I said, God, I really want to learn one thing from you, from this, this time that I have away, and, and to hear from you. And God came, came through in a, in, a, in a big way in terms of, and you're going to sit there and say, duh, John, at the end of this, but here's, I'm a little thicker headed and it took a little longer, but here's what God came, just pounded into my head and my heart during that sabbatical. That the key to my contentment, the key to my being content with my life, my wife, my kids, my dog, my house, my, my, my car, my job, the key to those things in contentment rested in my ability to be thankful for what God was doing and had done in my life. Don't, don't miss that principle, my friends. The key to being content, Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever state I am, even if you live in the state of Wisconsin, right? They say we live here because we can. And tomorrow we're going to prove that, right? When we get 8 to 10 inches or 14 inches or probably end up to be 3, but that's okay. We live here because we can in January, and God's called us to live here. But I tell you what, as we, and so what I did during that sabbatical, and I've tried to do to this day, 
when I wake up in the morning or before I put my head on the pillow at night, I reflect and I say, God, what is one thing that I am thankful to you for? And I try and think and meditate about that and, and, and reflect and thank God and say, oh man, God, thank you today. Thank you today that I have the ability to, when I see someone in a wheelchair, I say, man, God, you've given me two legs that work. God, you've, you know, you've done this, you've done And when I reflect and think about that, friends, it's a game changer. I, I'm more content. I'm more at peace. Paul says, if you want to work out your salvation and do so without grumbling and disputing, be thankful. What we look at determines what we see. Let me say that again. It's a very simple truth, but what we look at <laughs> determines what we see. If we focus on our circumstances rather than on God's blessings, we'll focus on them. What we look at determines what we see. If we focus on our problems, we will fill our minds with them until we see nothing else and it will keep us from shining for Jesus Christ. But we focus on, on what Christ has done for us and the goodness of God. We see our problems in light of eternity. Then we'll be able to shine as a star. We need God's work in us. We need words that come out of us to be filled with thankfulness and gratitude, not grumbling and disputing. A third aspect of this shining like a star for Christ involves my witness. It's God's work. It's my words, and it's my witness, verses 15 and 16. In 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as stars in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I may be proud that I not run in vain or labor in vain. Just like Paul, we need to say, by God's grace, I will be different to make a difference. <laughs> I will be different to make a difference. Three things that Paul said describe a person who shines like a star. He said, first of all, they're blameless, above reproach. No serious accusation can stick. This last week, I was with a friend of mine. We, we went to lunch, and we were reflecting. I'd been listening. I do a lot of traveling, and I had Billy Graham channel on my XM on 145, listening to his messages from before I was born in this early 60s, the 50s, and some of the things that he was preaching. And my friend said to me, isn't it great that Billy Graham lived a life in which there was no reproach cast against his ministry? I think about that, 70 years, 70 decades of faithfully serving Christ, and he was blameless in that he lived a life that was, I know he traveled with, always had a, an assistant that he traveled with when he would stay in hotels, and he, he worked very hard to make sure that he had the proper things around him to help him make good decisions and to be blameless. But when I think about the life of Billy Graham, I'm thankful for a man who lived in a way that was blameless. Another thing that Paul says here is innocent or pure. And I think that means authentic. What you see is what you get. 
authenticity. Don't we long for things that are authentic and real in the day in which we live? I mean, it's, it's hard to tell what's real and not real in the world in which we live. I'm telling you what, an eight-year-old with a computer and some software that can change videos has an incredible ability to just take what you think is real. I remember seeing something on the internet where this, this large uh, killer whale was coming out of the San Francisco Bay and grabbing onto a helicopter. And the thing looked really real, but I found out it was some teenager playing around with some Photoshop. And so we wonder what in this world is authentic and what is real. And Paul says, you'll be blameless, you'll, you'll shine like a star if you're pure, if you're real, if you're innocent. And then he said, without blemish or faults, fit to be offered to God like a lamb without spot or blemish. We will make an impact in the world by lives that are visibly, observably, measurably, noticeably, and obviously different from what people see around them. We want to be different for the cause of making a difference. Our values set apart from the surrounding culture. We will be different to make a difference. Why is it so important that we be straight arrows? Well, because Paul said here in the text, we live in a crooked and twisted and perverse generation. The word crooked comes from a a word in the original language that was used at that time from which we get our English word scoliosis a curvature of the spine. The word twisted is a much stronger term, and it means that you're crooked by choice. There's a a curvature of the spine, scoliosis, crooked, but this twisted word means that there is crookedness by choice. Some people are messed up because they don't know any better, while others live by the choices that they make and are twisted in their behavior. Our nation has decided decided to embark upon this great social experiment in which we've decided to overturn God's definition of marriage. I, I was listening this last week to some people on a channel talking about some of the problems in our country, and I was fascinated to hear some secular individuals say that they trace much of what we're seeing in school violence and etc. to the breakdown of the family. Now, I realize there are a lot of complex issues that we face in the world in which we live, but I would agree with that individual who said that much of what is seen in society is because of the breakdown of the family. And that has started years ago with us trying to redefine what God says marriage is. The best apologetic against these marriages will be truly biblical marriages between a man and a woman who are lived, living out obedience to God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that when our, our families are transformed as Christ followers, there's a window of time through which others get a glimpse of eternity and what God designed for homes to be like. And a truly Christian marriage and family is a powerful shining star a bright light in a dark world. Now, maybe you're here today and you've had brokenness in relationships. And I just want to say to you, God can still use your story to be a beautiful light and a shining star amidst the pain and the, the brokenness that you've experienced. And yet God wants us to be a witness. He wants us as we, as we shine for Christ and to quietly resolve to live out our faith in the most beautiful way possible. 
I didn't know. I guess I, I saw it last night a little bit when I looked over the order of service, but twice touch ministries. What, what a beautiful way to live out before the people of Eau Claire that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ and you care about people. I had the privilege of being an advocate because they, they didn't dare want to let me change anybody's oil for fear of what might have happened. You know, I don't even change my own oil. That could, be, that could be bad news. But I was able to be an advocate and I went with a couple people and walked them through some dental cleanings and, and, and just sat with them and heard their stories and, and tried to connect with them and let them know that you know, you're valuable. You're precious in God's eyes. He cares about you. No matter what your story, you're valuable to Him. He cares about you. And what a great way to let others know that, that we're followers of Jesus Christ than to sign up in some way to be involved in Twice Touch as you have that opportunity on April 14th. You can be all happy about your, your taxes all being you know, done and all that. What a great thing. My wife told me this morning that I have an appointment with her to get my taxes done. Oh, boy. Uh, Tony Evans said it this way. You change a neighborhood, and, and you can see a change in a city. You change a city, and you can see an entire state changed. You see a change of a state, and you see an entire nation changed. Change a nation, and you see the world changed. Not without the movement of God's spirit, not without spiritual warfare, not without a great turning to God, but the world can ignore our arguments, but it cannot ignore the reality of God at work in our lives. There's no answer for the witness of a life that has been transformed by God's spirit and has lived in a way that has a joy, a life that is characterized by peace and is characterized by genuine concern for others. If you live your life in such a way that way, your, your works as you live out your faith, as you live out your salvation, people will notice. They will even come to you and say, why in the world do you have such a joy about you in this crummy job? <laughs> and, and you might have opportunity to give reason for the hope that you have. Now, if you're grumbling and complaining, it may not be such a, such a stage for you to be able to talk about the joy that you have. So friends... As we shine like stars, we will hold also fast to the word of life. People will see the way we live. They will notice the difference. The light of Christ will be seen in us. And when the people in the darkness around us ask for the reason of the shining light, we can say it's the word of life that is in us, and it has that power to transform them too. To shine as a star, we as Christ followers live for others and not for ourselves. Well, as I think about this transition, Paul says at the last part of verse 16, so that the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul was looking forward to boasting about the, the Philippines the Philippines, the Philippians, when Christ returned. Paul envisioned a day when he would stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and give account for the obedience, the the words that he had taught, the example, the, the life that he had lived before the Philippians. He planned to boast in them. My question to us this morning is, what will we boast about when we stand before the Lord someday? Because all of us will give an account, not in judgment for our sins, because if we've come to faith in Christ, that takes place at the cross. But we will give an account for what we've done with our time, talents, and treasures when we stand before the Lord. It'll be too late. God doesn't take American Express. 
<laughs> you can't take out a checkbook or a credit card and say, you know, I really intended to do this. Or, you know, at the judgment seat of Christ, all of our works will be brought under the holiness of the, the gaze of a, of a holy God. And our, our life will be lived out, so to speak, in front of, in front of us. And only what's done for Christ will last. On that day, the only thing that will matter is the impact and witness we had on others as shining stars for the cause of Christ. Everything else will fade away. To shine as a star, we need God's work in us. We need words that come out of us that are wholesome and pure. And we need a a witness that has the reality of Jesus Christ living in us. Finally, this morning, I see in the text that to shine as a star... It requires God's will. God's will. Verses 17 and 18, Paul said, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul mentions this being poured out as a drink offering. In Old Testament times, there was a practice of a drink offering that when they would do a sacrifice, they would take wine and they would pour that over the coals and it would culminate with this sweet smelling fragrance that would come off of the sacrifice he says even though i end up losing my life for you it won't matter as long as i live for christ with that statement we come to the bottom line of christian service i wonder how many of us can truly say that it doesn't matter whether we live or die as long as the people we know come to follow and know jesus christ as lord and savior god's grace is free but it's not cheap my friends Reaching the world will, <laughs> has never been easy, and Jesus knew it wouldn't be. That's why he said in John sixteen thirty three, you will have suffering in this world. Matter of fact, I think we here in the West don't recognize just how much is taking place around the world to our brothers and sisters in Christ because of their identification with him. There's, uh, centuries ago, they killed the prophets, and they killed the apostles apostles one by one except for john centuries ago tertullian declared that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church there's a ministry here in the states called open doors and they named north korea which was interesting that uh, much of our focus on the winter olympics in south korea was just south of north korea but it's considered the most dangerous country for christians uh, almost 13 years in a row the most dangerous place on earth to be a follower of Jesus Christ is North Korea, followed by Somalia, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. This U.S.-based group, Open Doors, also said that hostility towards Christians is on the increase in the rise in Africa. Voices of Martyrs said that Christians systematically were eliminated and exterminated in Nazi Germany, that it was about a million Christ followers killed in addition to the Jewish people that were killed. The number of Orthodox Christians and others murdered in Russia between 1917 and 1950 was 15 million people. In China, at least 200,000 Christ followers and foreigners were killed in the Boxer Rebellion of uh, 1898 to 1900. Another 700,000 were killed in communist China between 1950 and 1980. The number of Uh, Catholics killed in Mexico from the late 1800s to the 1930 is estimated at over 107,000. 300,000 Christians are believed to have been killed under Idi Amin in Uganda between 1971 and 1979. I begin by giving you a list of people that the world considers 
stars are famous in these last three centuries. But I would like to give you the people that God says are stars from his perspective. From Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 38, he says this about a list of believers. He said, Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers and and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And then he says this wonderful phrase, describing those who shine like stars in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of these shining stars from God's perspective. These were all committed for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that so only together with us would they be made perfect. God's will is that you come to know Jesus Christ in relationship through faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And then his will is that you be transformed in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And as you're transformed in the likeness of Christ, you shine before others so they can see your good works and bring glory to the Father. So what do the people see when they, when they look at us? What do others see when they see us? Our neighbors, our co-workers, our families, our extended families. What do they see? Do they see the light of Jesus Christ? You are the light of the world. You shine like stars in the world. The world has his stars, has its stars, but God has his as well. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this about those people that I just read about in the latter part of chapter 11. Therefore, all of those people who suffered, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those are some of the witnesses that are there. They've finished the faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set or marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the example of men and women who down through the centuries have followed you at tremendous costs. Costs to their families, costs to their very physical lives, some even culminating in sacrificing their lives for the cause and sake of Christ. Father, Paul was telling these dear followers in Philippi that God wants to work, he has worked in them to will and do of his good pleasure. That the words that they would use would be marks of their obedience to him. That their witness would then be followed up by their words and by their actions. And that God's will for their lives would be that they would be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And that God, they would also, uh, Paul was saying, that they would then become like Christ as a result of his work in their lives. So Father, I pray that that might be so of us who have heard your word this morning. We pray that Christ would be honored and glorified in, in our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen.